Welcome to the Way of the Lamb podcast, a resource of the Center for Christian Formation. For more information, go to christianform.org. Thank you for joining us for a conversation on power and the church. Welcome to the Way of the Lamb podcast. We're grateful you've chosen to listen in and join us for the inaugural episode here. We plan on spending time having conversations about power in the church. Myself, Jamin Goggin, along with my dear friend Kyle Strobel, hope to invite you into the conversations that we have had ourselves for many years around this topic of power in the church and a conversation we plan to continue through this podcast. As we get started, it'd be helpful to let you know a little bit about ourselves, assuming not everyone listening in might have read our book, The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb, or be familiar with our our ministries and prior work. I'm a pastor in North San Diego County in San Marcos, California, Mission Hills Church. Um, I've been down here now for uh, six years. And my wife, Kristen, and I moved down from Orange County, California. For those that don't know California topography super well, it's just <laughs> a, about an hour down the freeway. Uh, we moved down here with our, our four children and um, we've been ministering here in this community now for for those six years. Um, prior to that, served in several uh, pastoral roles at previous churches. And so at this point now, um, I'm nearly 18 years in to uh, pastoral ministry, full-time vocational pastoral ministry. Kyle will share in a moment about uh, kind of his context of ministry and work, but um, much of how, where our relationship uh, began was in the context he now finds himself working. So a little bit about my educational background, because that also helps to kind of provide some context for our relationship. But um, got two master's degrees at Talbot Theological Seminary at Biola University uh, several years ago. And uh, Kyle and I spent our time walking through seminary together and since went on to complete a PhD in systematic theology at Aberdeen. Um, in Scotland, and which you'll find out in a moment. Kyle did as well, just before me, though. Mm-hmm. We didn't do it at the same time. And so a little bit about my educational background, a little bit about my ministry background. But um, in particular, this book that Kyle and I uh, wrote together, we spent um, years um, praying through, dialoguing about, and really traveling around the world in preparation to write book, uh, Way of the Dragon, Way of the Lamb, that came out in first edition form in 2017 and then was just recently re-released. And at some point in the podcast episode down the road, we'll be spending some time talking about that. But Kyle and I have written a couple of books together, not only Way of the Dragon, Way of the Lamb, but Beloved Dust as well. So gives you a little bit of a sense for me, Jamin, but let Kyle share a little bit about himself as well. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, my name is Kyle Strobel. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for being with us um, as we wrestle through the question of power. I am a associate professor of spiritual theology at Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. Um, that's a mouthful. It rolls off my tongue quickly nowadays, but it's, it's a mouthful. <laughs> um, I'm a systematic theologian as well, as Jamin um, commented. Um, I'm a Jonathan Edwards scholar, so I do a lot of work in Jonathan Edwards studies, um, as well as just systematic theology in general. Um, my own um, background in in terms of academics, you know, I, I kind of felt a call to to academic ministry as an undergrad um, Bible studies majors fell in love with the life of the mind and the call to that kind of ministry 
I've been at Talbot now for eight years. And so, and it's been a profoundly rich time. Um, and in the midst of that, Jamin and I published this book. And, you know, in many ways, this goes back to our student days as New Testament, um, master's degree students who were wrestling through these very odd things that Jesus seems to say about Christian power. And, you know, it's funny about, about this project because for us, yes, there is a book a part of it, but, the book is kind of secondary to the fact that these were our questions as seminary students, and we were driven by the, the question of what scripture has to say about these things. And, and so we wrote a book, not, not really thinking anyone would care about it. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of bad press about Christian power in those days, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. And since we started, and not, not only since we wrote the book, but when, since we started these questions, it's been amazing to see how the church has in many ways come apart at the seams um, because of power. And culturally, even the word power in a way that was never true, it is now such a loaded term. And there's so many views and there's so many demonizations of it. There's so many, you know, it's fascinating to see. And so one of the reasons we felt like we wanted to start this conversation was because we worry that it's easy to read a book about power and say, oh, yeah, this is right, and then move on and not really grapple with, well, wait a second. What does this actually mean? What is actually being said? What is going on in culture? How is this playing out in our churches and our families and all of these things? So we hope this will be a time to really wrestle through some of those questions and that um, as we do it as friends conversationally and as folks who have walked mm-hmm. through this for a long time, we hope this is an inviting place to wrestle with these sorts of things. Yeah. Thanks, Kyle. Yeah, man. Well, as Kyle talks about the writing of the way of the dragon or the way of the lamb. One of the, the things that I think stands out to me was really the response we received uh, initially. And I think I've continued to receive uh, and even in the second edition release of the book and maybe a helpful place for us to begin. I mean, much of the kind of fodder, uh, for this podcast has been born out of just several years of conversations, not only that he and I have had, but now he and I have had with others who've engaged the book, read the book, um, sought us out to have conversations about it, offered feedback. And, and one of the things that I think has really stood out to us over the years has been, uh, kind of the experience of feeling a bit like, um, we've been misunderstood. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, usually that sense of misunderstanding actually comes through quite a bit of affirmation and encouragement about the book. We've actually had very little uh, critique of the book. Um, but oftentimes the response we receive goes something a bit like this, that while wow, you guys really uh, have kind of named it and identified it, this problem of power in the church, and I think as Kyle just mentioned, uh, you know, in, in particular, as we've seen, uh, continued abuses of power in the church in the last four or five years, even since the book first came out. And so there's a real sense of why wow, you guys named it, you identified it, you've helped really articulate the problem, what's going on in particular in kind of the evangelical church in North America. That's kind of the context we particularly appointed towards because it's the context of our, our church uh, kind of experience uh, mm-hmm. developmentally, as well as the churches we find ourselves in now. But along with that encouragement and affirmation, Often, I think, Kyle, what we've been hearing from people is, um, yeah, power, power is just the problem. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you guys have finally named the problem. And, um, the problem is power. And what we need to do is figure out a way to get out of 
these kind of power structures that exist to either escape from them or maybe to establish some kind of model that just totally subverts any of these power structures at all. Mm. And so I, I think oftentimes how we have felt misunderstood, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think we've talked about <laughs> sometimes that I think sometimes our senses people have, have heard us as saying something like, um, we need to reject power outright. Yeah. And power is all bad and it's good for nothing. And we just need to somehow rid ourselves of power in the church. And so usually what comes with that, again, is some conversation about maybe tearing down structures of authority, um, removing structures of authority, removing ourselves mm -hmm. from those structures of authority. And I think maybe the two primary ways that this has really shown up, as I think about it, Kyle, and I, you know, yeah. there may be other ways it's, it's shown up than these two ways, but I think these are common ways it's shown up for both of us in conversations is one, folks who read our book and are encouraged by kind of naming an experience they genuinely have had in the church, mm -hmm. feeling abused, um, by kind of, um, toxic leadership, um, feeling like they've been under kind of a certain kind of authoritarian way of wielding, mm -hmm. wielding power that has been harmful, discouraging. Yeah. Um, and, but as a result, they've chosen to maybe leave the church and they're leaving the church, kind of identifying the church as kind of wholesale uh, being, uh, the problem because it's just, it, it's a place of power and they need to get out of it. Yeah. And I think, you know, the irony for you and I, of course, is we have a whole chapter in there on don't leave the church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do understand why people respond that way. And I do understand mm -hmm. why we are, I think, naming something of their experience that I do want to be, um, mindful of mm -hmm. and considerate of that, um, you know, it can be really tough to, um, consider returning to the house where you were abused. Yeah. And the thought of um, entering back into the household of God in any context, if you've experienced kind of uh, um, the coercion, the control, the domineering, mm -hmm. the manipulation of um, maybe a particular leader or a culture, yeah. um, it can be hard to want to return to that particular church or any church when you've experienced that. But I think nevertheless, that would be concerning for us. That response is kind of the answer being we just need to leave the church because yeah. it's all bad. And I think the other way it shows up that I've already named here a little bit is maybe not leaving the church so much as trying to find the kind of silver bullet model. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and that can, sh that, that response comes in a myriad of forms, right? Well, this is why we need this kind of church governance or polity. Mm -hmm. It just happens over there. And, you know, it just happens in mega churches. Therefore, we need to be in a smaller church. It just happens in yeah. low church, non-denominational settings. That's why we need to have, you know, a thicker polity and governance that has a little more teeth to it. Um, yeah. or, it's just, it shows up as a rejection of kind of the institutional church in all of its forms and a movement maybe towards, you know, a house church model where we feel like we've kind of leveled the playing field and there's no one here who has more power than anyone else. And as long as we have really no hierarchy or structures of authority, then we'll avoid this problem. Um, but again, I think that response is signaling, um, a belief that yeah, power is just bad and, um, either the church just is inherently an institution of power. Therefore we need to leave or the church as we know it in the forms we've experienced, uh, it kind of inherently imbibes power the way that we want to reject. So we've got to find another form. We've got to get out into something else or to something different. These tend to be some of the, I think the reactions you and I've experienced yeah. to the book. And so I'm wondering as you hear that, Kyle, what, 
what you would maybe begin to identify some of the errors there, some of the concerns, some of the temptations yeah. that show up there for people. Yeah, totally. No, and I see this all the time. You know, I, I've actually led students, seminary students through the book. And one of the things that strikes me about the typical response, there's a two, there's a kind of two sides to the typical response. The first side is, yes, I see this. The second side is, those people need to get their act together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is, this is such a huge problem for yeah. those people. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think mm. that one, that that's one of the biggest problems. And, you know, it's funny, like, you know, when you write a book, as you know, you, you and I have both done this several times now, you write a book and you, sometimes you, 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 you look back at it and you think, Oh man, I really wish I could have, or Oh, I wish I wish I'd have said this. And if, if I think about anything about this book that I wish we could have done better, maybe, um, whether or not that was our call maybe is a different question, but I, I wish, and maybe, you know, it could be that quite honestly, no one would have heard this anyways. I don't know. I, I wish we could have come up with maybe some more examples. And I think we'll do that throughout this podcast of more kind of everyday common things about power. Mm. And, and I think mm. the, the danger is people, when they hear the word power, the tendency is to project it on other people. Yes. So yeah, there's, there's these people that have power and that's all of life. Yeah. The, if the president, oh, they, they have power. They do this. If, you know, Hollywood be, yeah, they have all these power. They should, you know, rich people. Yeah. They have, you know. right. And we, we spend all our time projecting this out. Every human being has power. So right away, we can't just project this out at those people. Mm. And so the first error I think I see people making is that like we, we project this on other people. We project this on other movements. Um, if you're at a small church, it's the big church's problem. If you're at, you know, if you're in a parachurch ministry, it's the church's that's problem. Right. Like it's, right. it's always someone else's problem. So that, that's the first thing, you know, when, when, when we wrote this book, you know, we, the, the reason that we wrote it is because we felt, and we were students when we first started this journey, we had no, in that sense, we had no power. <laughs> we didn't have jobs. We didn't have, you know, and, and we couldn't get around the fact that Jesus is talking about us. So right away, you know, when you wrestle with this question, start with yourself. That's right. You have power. It doesn't matter what it is. Do you have a sense to your name? You have power. You have time. You have power, right? Power is something every human being has. That's just fundamentally true about human persons. But then, you know, the the other kind of reality, I I, I see people doing this, and you kind of named it well, it's it's the silver bullet approach, Mm -hmm. which is thinking, yes, power is bad. Mm -hmm. And so... Right away, I want to say, first, Scripture is very clear about this. Um, you're supposed to be powerful. Like, if you're a faithful Christian, you it's for power. Right. Jesus says to the, you know, the risen and ascended Christ says to Apostle Paul, uh, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. It's not about weakness. If, if the Christian life for you has become about weakness, you've not read Scripture well. And I cannot tell you how many people have told me that's the case. That no, mm. it's about weakness. That's false. That's, and that's obviously false. But here's what's happening. So let me try to crawl behind that because that's easy to say. I think what tends to happen for some folks is it's easy. It's just simple to demonize power. It's easy to say this is all bad. Yeah. Now they haven't thought through that. <laughs> like, cause if they're going to do anything in this world, if they're going to do anything in ministry, they're going to have to come up with, with Things that have power to them, right? Like there's no way around that. If you do anything, it, it has authority attached to it. It has power attached to it. Right. You can't spend money. You can't spend your time. You're like you can't do any of these things without power. But I think what happens is we leave these things undefined. Right. So we leave them very ambiguous. 
We project power out there at those people. So yeah, those big people. And so what it allows me to do as an average everyday person, you know, I'm a, I'm a preacher. I preach monthly at my church. I'm on a preaching team. We're mm-hmm. a small church. It'd be very easy for me to be like, yeah, I don't have power. None of the, you know, as if me preaching in front of 150 people doesn't have power, but at some, right. at some size of audience, I get power. Right. <laughs> there's, right. there's this magical line right. that then, then I become powerful. Right. And, and because we don't think about it, it's mm. easy to not actually deal with ourselves. And I think that's something we really want to hit. No, no. If you have one person in front of you that you're ministering to, you're, you're in a kind of position of power and authority. And Jesus already said very clearly, mm. this is for power. You're supposed to be powerful in the kingdom of God. But this means we have to differentiate kingdom power with worldly power. And, and I think the biggest problem it, it comes to, and I, I want to ask you a little bit about this, Jamie, but, but I think one of our biggest problems is that we haven't actually defined power well culturally and in the church. Yeah. That's why we can demonize it so quickly. Right. The problem I see out there, and this, you know, I see it in my students. I see it in my, you know, my students. And this is true of me when I was in. I'm sure both of us as seminary students, like we came to seminary um, because we wanted to be great. Yeah. You know, and, and we thought, but because we wanted to be great for Jesus, that somehow wasn't grandiose, right? <laughs> like, like, that's just kind yeah. of fair game then, yeah. you know? And God, of course, uh, wants me to be great. That's right. That's right. Of course. Right. This is for I him, have great right? plans for him. You know, I, I yeah. say to the glory of God when I'm done doing grandiose things. So that's right. therefore, he must like it, right? Right. right? And, and so, you know, right away, there's a problem because we haven't defined these things well. But I, you know, I also realized when I look back at, in my seminary days is I was looking for the silver bullet model. Yes. I was looking for if, if I just do church right, then boom, everything will go away. Yes. Everything will work. And, and it's like somehow that'll protect against the demonic. That'll protect against yes. the flesh. As long as it's the right form, then everything will go well. Well, and interestingly, Kyle, I think, I mean, even as we're talking, what's coming up for me is it, it does show up. In, in, in other ways than even the ones we've mentioned. Sometimes it is, I'm in the small church, therefore I think the big church is all the problem. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes it actually runs the opposite way. Mm-hmm. In other words, because I grew up in the mega church and that's where I experienced this problem, I've now come to determine all large churches. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Have this kind of problem with power. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I grew up in this kind of ecclesial context, whatever it might be, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, mm-hmm. you know, um, Baptist, uh, non-denominational, evangelical, you know, what, whatever it may be, sometimes it actually can run the opposite direction, mm-hmm. right? Where because I experienced a problem in my context that, again, legitimate abuse yeah, of yeah. power or um, um, misuse of spiritual authority in a harmful way. But now I come to believe, well, the, the problem is in the, the camp I've been in and the church I grew up in. And now I, I need to go. And so oftentimes what happens is I go to the opposite extreme. Like what, what is the form of church that looks exactly opposite or most right. different of yeah, what yeah. I've been in? And I think what we would say is that it, it's a movement of reaction formation. And we all have this in our lives, right? Where uh, the assumption is as long as I move to the kind of opposite end of the kind of ecclesial spectrum, whatever that might be, or yeah. what looks totally different. I won't experience that again here. And I think what you're naming is right, which is no, that the temptation to wield worldly power, and we'll get to more of this in this episode and in later episodes, but the temptation to wield worldly power is going to show up no matter where we are. That's and right. conversely, God's invitation to embrace true kingdom power is going to be available to us yeah, yeah. where we are totally. in Christ by the spirit. Right. But yeah, um, yeah. the idea that, you know, when I, when Jamin was, 
uh, youth pastor <laughs> talking to a room full of, um, you know, 40 high school, 40 high school students in a house when I was 23 preaching the Bible and they're all hanging on my every word, which they were. The idea that there's kind of less of an opportunity there to wield worldly totally. power or to kind of absorb their affirmation for the sake of my own grandiosity and mm-hmm. um, sense of significance. That, well, that, that's just obviously false. I know it to be false in my own life. Right? Yeah, and yeah. so I think one of the other ways it can show up is that, that way. And I think yeah. the other way it shows up and maybe showed up for us in seminary with this, maybe interesting to hear you speak to this too, is, is this view that, you know, what we really need to do is just kind of clear the whole deck. You know, yeah. we're, we're willing to admit that, yeah, some things have gone wrong in the Roman <laughs> Catholic Church. And, oh, it turns out we've had some stories even in the, the Presbyterian Church, despite the structure even recently. And, oh, yeah, non-denominational evangelical. Well, you know, the smaller churches, well, here's the problem. Sometimes you don't have any real accountability because it's it's one guy as a pastor and um, a mega church. And I think what's easy to do in response to all this, you know what we need to do? We just need to get back to the early church. You know, we just need to get back to kind of the church in its pure form, back behind all of these kind of um, structures of authority. Back when they had, I think in our minds, sometimes the way we read New Testament, back when they had no authority and no structures <laughs> and we read Acts and yeah. everyone's just giving to each other. and right. Yeah, yeah. But actually what we're doing is ignoring most of the New Testament that That's says, right. actually there's... The church has, has, you know, wildly is having problems with oh my goodness, yeah. abuses of power, right? Totally. And, um, and so maybe, maybe speak to that for yeah. just a moment as well. I mean, if you, totally. you see that, I mean, I think you and I felt that temptation keenly in seminary, yeah. right? We're like, we just got to get back to this. If we can kind of locate <laughs> and figure out what yeah. the New Testament model was, what the Acts 2 thing was, we can kind of shove off the table everything else. And we can kind of get back to the purest form, then we'll be okay. Totally. Well, and this is the naivete, I think, to this is that we, we think if we can find this pure form, we, like, one, that there is this pure form, like what the church of Corinth? Right. <laughs> like, exactly. It was a disaster, exactly. right? You know, and you look, it's like the apostle Paul is, is kind of ministering to these churches, his guys that he's mentoring or pastoring, all these things. And they're disasters, right? Like there's right. not a healthy church among them. Right. And it's like, you look at that reality and, I, I think it points to several things that we're going to talk about through these episodes. I mean, one of which it points to, like, why, why do we think? And I think this is, you know, right now, I think we're, we're, we're reaping what we've sown and we've sown all sorts of sick fruit with power or sick seeds, I suppose, with power. And we're bearing all sorts of sick fruit. And there was a naivete about how Satan and how the flesh warp. Mm. the kingdom of God. And yeah. I think there's been a real naivete about it. And we haven't protected against it. We just assumed if we're faithful and excited and doing things right, then somehow right. like we'll be protected from this stuff. Whereas it's the New Testament church that tells us, no, these seeds get sown early, yeah. they get sown quickly, and are all over the place. And so I see that temptation all the time. And, and you know, let me name another one, because I think that is an important temptation to pay, to pay attention to, this this silver bullet kind of model, as well as like, you know, if if we can just really get away from power, which right. just is not there, that, that you wouldn't do anything. If you want to get away from power, I don't know what that a coma. I, I don't know what getting away from power is like. <laughs> what, what your hope would be there? Yeah. there? There's no way to do it and be faithful. And you, yeah. the second you want to get away from power, you're not being faithful to the Christ call in your life. I can right. tell you that right now. But I think the other thing I see that's a little more academic. So this is a little more elitist, maybe a little more like savvy. I see people now who, when they talk about worldly power, they only mean toxic power. 
Yes. And so here, let me name a totally, let me name a scenario that most people have never thought of. You have a reasonably healthy church. And by that, I mean the leadership is being faithful. They're caring for people reasonably well. There's not any abuse and any kind going mm. on, let's say. Mm. And it be an entirely worldly view of power at that church. Right. And because we've never thought about that scenario, I think what that actually shows us is we've never actually dealt with what power is. Because most of us assume that as long as good things are happening, power must be good. Yes. But I think what we find in scripture is something totally different. And so uh, maybe, I mean, even I'll kick this back to you, maybe to clarify some of what power is. I mean, it might be helpful to use that as a bit of a case study. Like, let's take this church. It's a church that's, that is, is, you don't have abuse of power. You don't have what we would normally think of as toxic power there. And yet has still somehow yes. kind of become, well, like, how, what would that even look like? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think maybe to kind of inch our way towards answering, what you posed, I think the much of what we've been naming now for the last several minutes is the problem with our definitions of power, our kind of presumed definitions. And this assumption that we kind of all know what we're talking about when we say power, (laughs) right? And um, it's a bit of a a plastic word Mm, uh, to to use um, a reference to a sociologist we both appreciate. Um, There's a, there's, there's a, we know it when it's bad. We see it when it's bad. And we name it as, yeah, power is the problem. And we kind of all nod our head and go, yeah, 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 that thing's bad. Yeah. Right? But we're not really sure what we're talking about. And I think that that's maybe where I'd want to begin in answering how do we think about a church that might actually be world wielding worldly power, kind of a culture of worldly power yeah, yeah. that nevertheless doesn't have these like obvious markers of toxicity and abuse and right. Yeah, totally. it, it appears very faithful. And I think, so the question is, what are we talking about when we talk about power? I think often if I were to maybe help begin to identify what's going on in some of this conversation, often what, what people seem to mean is something like just leadership as such. Yeah. <laughs> or authorities or structures and hierarchy of authority, right? That I think sometimes when people are identifying the problem, they are in part just meaning we shouldn't have hierarchy. No one should have authority over anyone else. We shouldn't mm-hmm. identify anyone or any, any particular group as leaders. Yeah. And whether they're willing to kind of full throated say that, I think sometimes folks are, it's kind of what they're meaning, right? Yeah, We've yeah. got to find a way to uh, rid ourselves of such structures and rid ourselves of kind of any relations of hierarchy, which of course is highly problematic yeah. when we read the New Testament and yeah. we hear, you know, inst- apostolic instruction to obey our governing mm-hmm. authorities. Um, um, in that, you know, culturally, even how we might think about that in society. And then yeah, of course, yeah. apostolic instruction telling us we need to submit to our spiritual authorities in the life of the church. Totally. Um, but nevertheless, I think that's often what Christians are saying is, you know, the leadership, authority, hierarchy, all this stuff, it's a real problem. Um, I think one of the other ways it shows up is, is maybe identifying power as maybe not necessarily just authority or leadership um, and that that is bad in of itself, but, but maybe more identifying power as, uh, status or privilege, mm. right? The powerful are those who have status and certain kinds of yeah. privilege. And again, that shows up societally, uh, for sure. You know, um, well, here are those that have power 
And something in that is just wrong and kind of unfair and unreasonable. And really what we're meaning is there's certain people maybe in our society or our culture who have more status or privilege than we do. Sure, yeah. And there's something wrong about that. There's an imbalance of power, we might say. Mm. Um, but again, how that shows up in the church, I think, sim- is similar. Yeah. Where yeah. We, we begin to become really concerned about uh, anyone having notoriety anyone having quote what we would call a platform yeah and we start talking about things like um the, the problem of celebrity culture in the church and i think you and i would acknowledge yeah, yeah. that is a problem <laughs> but i think the problem with the conversation is often we're, we're we're naming having status recognition platform leadership authority of any kind as kind of a form of celebrity Often, if you're known, you're a Christian celebrity and that in of itself is the problem. And you need to do everything you can to kind of vacate yourself of that status, that privilege to kind of de-platform yourself as much as possible to be as kind of unnoticed as possible because then and only then is the kind of the power balance fair, equitable and good because of course the problem is the fact that someone has that kind of status, has that kind of recognition, or is well-known, that's the problem. Yeah. And it's a problem of power, right? And that's often how it's just named is, oh, that person's got power. That's a problem. I, you see some of this? Totally. I think these are some of the challenges. I mean, there's more things I think we could name, Kyle, but yeah. these are the, some of the things I see going on, the way power is defined, yeah, what its equivalents are. Oh, it's just authority. Oh, it's just hierarchy. Oh, it's just being well-known. It's having a platform. Yeah. And that's bad. Totally. Well, and this is something that we saw that surprised me, you know, you know, part of, you know, in, in this project that we took on to write this book on power, the way of the dragon or the way of the lamb, we interviewed people that we consider sages in the way of Jesus, right? These are people, yes. you know, decades upon decades upon decades, embracing what we think of as kingdom power. Well, what's funny is after we did that, one of the critiques that came in was these guys criticize celebrities, you know, these people who, yes. you know, they they claim or you know all about worldly power and all they did is find other celebrities just different celebrities right and our response was you know I, we were so taken aback because i'm like oh wow you don't know the difference between what you call celebrity which is pejorative right celebrity for them means someone that's like yes. grubbly grabbing for power yes you don't know the difference between that and a sage right. an elder in the way of you like peter in one sense, was a celebrity. Right. <laughs> what was he supposed to do? Go into hiding? Like, I, well, I knew Jesus. Sorry, I can't. I can't yeah, minister anymore. Right, so, like, right. but that's the problem culturally. We really don't have words for sages anymore and for elders who are recognized as yes. such. And so, it's easy. And again, I, I think a lot of this it is just very unthought through. Yeah. Because we assume that power is bad and then, but we never actually name what, what we think it should look like. Correct. And so it just becomes this, this amorphous idea and it allows us, especially in a social media world, to just attack everyone. Yeah. And to kind of ironically wield worldly power, if I'm honest, yes. against these things, calling them out on it and missing the log that is in our own eye in a lot of these things. And, and if I were going to try to, you know, use that going back to that kind of example, like, well, what, let's take a church that's by and large faithful that doesn't have all this toxic, you know, cause again, I worry that on the negative side of it, we only think of worldly power mm. as, as in toxic power. You know, if all we think of as power is like achievement, and success in worldly terms on worldly metrics. That, that simply is worldly power. 
And, and one of the things we really want to explore throughout this podcast is, is maybe, just maybe Jesus was right. Like maybe there's an entirely different way to attend to what power actually is. Because the, the greatest, and I, you know, Jamie and I have thought this for years and we keep saying this, and I'm amazed at how many people just, just don't pay attention to this. The greatest temptation in our age is to wield power that is evil for the sake of the kingdom. Yes. And you see it everywhere. Christians trying to get theirs, Christians trying to get a handhold in culture, Christians trying to wield themselves against these things because they assume because it's for a Christian cause, it must be good. And what we want to say is, no, 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 it's not simply that we, we were, we wield worldly power for good ends and that makes it good. Worldly power is worldly power. It doesn't even need to be toxic. It can still be worldly. And our worry is the church isn't doing that, isn't really engaging this question. And so because of that, the church consistently gives into worldly power without knowing. And I think this is the real problem with our current definitions of power in the church. And um, as we've already talked about, this kind of all nodding our head that power is the problem, but not really clearly defining what we mean. I think what you're getting at is the heart of the problem. Yes, it means sometimes we're defining it in ways that are kind of inappropriate or reductionistic, or that it's just authority or it's just being known. Or, yeah. But the real problem, the real problem at the heart of not defining our terms well and not having a real grasp on what Christian power is, is all we all we do have left is worldly power. That's right. And yeah. the result is, um, if that is all we have, if all that is available to us as Christians is the same kind of power as the world, just hopefully wielded for better purposes or wielded by the right people instead of the wrong people, then we're in trouble. Yeah. If all we have is worldly power, namely power to control, right? Power to coerce power that's oriented by competition, if that's all we have and all we're left with is the question of, will we do a little better job with that than others? Yeah. <laughs> right. That's right. Um, yeah. Then we're in trouble. And then all we are really left with are some of the, I think, um, uh, really trivial solutions, which is, yeah. well, what we need to do is get the right gender in the position of power because the problem is just the gender. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, we all know it's about having control. We're willing to just admit that. We just need people who are going to wield that control that feels a little less coercive, hopefully. And hopefully if we get the right gender in that position, that will do that. Yeah, yeah. Or, well, really what we need is uh, the right kind of personality type. You know, if we have a certain kind of personality type that, that, that bends toward narcissism, well, that's going to be a problem. But if we have the right personality type, then them wielding control and engaging in that game of competition, since that's all we've got, well, at least it's going to go a little bit better than maybe it would go otherwise, right? And so what we end up doing is assuming actually a worldly form of power as all we have available yeah, and yeah. now trying to look for solutions or, well, that's all we have is worldly power. So yeah, if we can just figure out a new schema, a structure, um, maybe not only getting the right gender or the right kind of personality type or the right person in a particular role, but now also just getting a certain kind of structure around that person 
or in relation to that person to help offset as much as possible uh, how that power is wielded. But again, at no point yeah. are we considering, do we have a different kind of power available to us? Right. Is there a totally different model? Is there something else that Jesus has actually made available to us that has nothing to do with this worldly model of power? And so maybe that's where we need to kind of finish here, Kyle, is what is Christian power distinctively? If it isn't this kind of worldly form of power, control, coercion, competition, and if, if, if what we're left with is not just the, the best kind of models we can find to help mitigate that going too rad or to find the right kind of person to hopefully help wield that with a little less dom- domineering tendency yeah. or approach or narcissism. But if, if what we're actually offered is a totally different kind of power, what is that? Yeah. 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 Well, you know, the way we try to frame this is by asking the question, what is power for and where does power come from? And power is for the kingdom of God and it is for love. And so one way we might want to look at this biblically is by saying power is found in our weakness for the sake of love. Yeah. Um, that is antithetical to worldly power, which is always power found in strength usually for the sake of control. But again, in the church, I think we often have accounts that say, oh no, power is in strength for the sake of love. You, you could even try to try to kind of bend it the right sort of way. But then the, the key other element is, well, where does power come from? And this is why it's important that it's not found in your strength. Um, power comes from Christ and for Christ, that it's only available by the Spirit of God working within us. And therefore, it isn't something we generate it isn't something that's based kind of on our natural abilities. It isn't something that's based on the privilege we have or our lack of privilege. It isn't, it isn't based on those things. And now, Jamie and I, of course, are not saying that the model is irrelevant. Privilege is not an, not an interesting issue or important in any way, yeah. right? Accountability doesn't matter. Accountability doesn't matter. <laughs> we, we need to talk about yeah. all these things because yeah. all of them are important. Right. But the key is that in Jesus' economy, he provides an entirely different vision of how this works. Yes. And it's our desire to explore that with you and to explore that in these next, you know, several episodes to kind of wrestle through, well, what does this look like? Cause our, one of our biggest worries is that by and large, the response to our book has been yes. And then people move on. And as far as we can tell, they either haven't actually heard what we said or they haven't internalized it deeply enough to have it shape their vision for what ministry is, what the church can be, and what the Christian life actually is. And we want to try to point out, look, you, you've simply bought into another program then. At the end of the day, we're not interested in that. Right. We're interested in guiding you into what Jesus said about life in the kingdom. Yeah. So good, Kyle. I think – you know, it's that power from and power for that helps distinguish, you know, worldly power is from the self and for the self. Yeah. This is life in the flesh. This is how scripture articulates the way of the flesh. It's yeah. a life that is uh, from the self and for the self. And um, Jesus has something radically different to offer us. Right now. Power found in me, in the truth of your weakness. Mm. Your frailty, your insufficiency, your creatureliness yeah. for the sake of love. And um, I think maybe as we close, just thinking of a couple examples of how that shows up, because I think as much as that might resonate for folks, I, I recognize sometimes that can feel a little ethereal, mm, yeah, um, yeah. a little unclear. And um, how does that really show up 
in in the lives of Christians? What might that look like? And you know, I think of a couple of biblical examples and maybe some practical examples in my own life and ministry. But I think it shows up in the widow's mite, the story of the widow's mite, and, and Jesus uh, letting telling his disciples that she's actually putting more money in yeah. than the wealthy who are doing it to be recognized. And again, there's a way of reading that text and going, "Oh, that that's nice." Jesus is kind of giving her some. You know, give her some flowers. Give her some credit. I mean, but surely he doesn't really believe it's more money. It's not more money. Yeah, yeah. And surely he doesn't believe that that's more powerful. Right? That there's more power in that in the kingdom. And I think actually that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Yeah, we yeah. just we just don't believe it. Yeah, that's <laughs> but right. Jesus really is saying in the kingdom of co- kingdom economy, that's more money. Yep. That's more powerful. And the little bit she gave is of greater power is of greater worth and value in the kingdom out of her weakness for the sake of love. Mm -hmm. Um, As opposed to those who gave from strength in order to be recognized, which is the way of worldly power. I think of Paul talking about the lesser gifts and the weaker members of the Mm -hmm. body of Christ. And again, we can read that as Paul kind of, isn't it nice that Paul, you know, (laughs) is encouraging to those who don't really matter as much. Isn't it nice that Paul is willing to give a pat on the back to those who don't score high enough on the spiritual gifts test? Yeah. (laughs) Right? Yeah, yeah. Or do we take Paul seriously in saying, no, 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 that in in a kingdom, these actually, these these weaker parts of the body, these lesser parts of the body, in our mind, in our terms of kind of worldly pomp and significance and status and impact – are of the greatest value, are of the most importance. Mm-hmm. Is Paul actually believing Jesus when he says the first really will be last and the last really will be first? And yeah, he yeah. really means it, right? Um, that the least of these uh, are those that we're to uh, look to in, in our midst as those who are actually uh, inviting us into God's power in a way that we may never recognize in our community. And I think practically then in the life of ministry, it shows up in this way for me as a pastor. And I think about um, a woman, uh, you know, not long ago in ministry who was kind of processing with me um, this sense of calling she had to read scripture uh, uh, for our church family in worship. And we have, you know, scripture reading before the sermon. And she felt a real call to do it. She'd heard invitations several times up front for folks who might be considered mm-hmm. or might consider doing that, feel called to that. But she had genuine anxiety about speaking in front of people and didn't feel confident in her kind of her, the inflection of her voice, right? Her kind mm-hmm. of stage presence, but also just genuinely had anxiety about being in front of people. And yeah, there's other people that are doing it. I don't need to do it. But really, I think through the invitations in life for a church and through her own prayer life, really felt this burden, the sense of calling. But again, here she is saying, what yes to something she actually doesn't she feel like she's very good at doesn't mm-hmm. feel like she has the competency for doesn't feel like she necessarily has the quote gifting to do yeah yeah and i'll never forget the first sunday seeing her up there not knowing she decided to do it <laughs> and reading scripture right before i preached and i knew what no one else in the room knew mm-hmm. which is here's a woman who's saying lord you be my strength and my right in this yeah, place yeah. of weakness mm-hmm. and because i love my church family and what a privilege and a joy it would be to read your Holy Scripture to the church. And I think your word has been such a gift in my life. I want to bless others mm-hmm. by reading it. But I knew for her there was real anxiety, real trepidation. There was a real need to rely upon the Lord. And so 
it's these little ways. It's these hidden ways, right? It's the widow's might. Yeah, yeah. It's the, the people in our midst we often don't notice, the least of the community. It's the, the, the simple acts of service. Uh, and again, these things are often showing up in the lives of our church, totally unrelated to positions of authority and hierarchy and status. That's and, right. You know, and as you said, we're not trying to reject the notion we need to have good polity good structures, <laughs> good governance, accountability, yeah. nor that we need to be cautious about having a narcissist. Yeah. Of course, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think what we're also trying to recognize is it's also not all about just leadership. That's right. It's about recognizing how God's power is showing up in and through the body of Christ, right? Uh, as the Spirit does a work. Yeah. Well, and maybe that's even a good place to conclude. You know, I wonder what it would look like for you to reflect as you're hearing Jamin and I talk on these things. Like, who do you look at and think, wow, that's, that's where the power is really at in the kingdom. And I tell you what, I, I, I'm not sure I've ever seen anyone, any Christian group that doesn't presuppose that the pastor is the one that has the real power and everyone else is a second class citizen. Some people try to mitigate it by, you know, I don't know, ramping up their liturgy or something. But at the end of the day, everyone seems to assume that's where the power is. That's right. And Paul undermines that explicitly in 1 Corinthians 12. And, you know, I, it's just interesting to think about as, as we consider our own callings. Um, maybe you're in a pastoral vocation, like, like Jameson, and you have to like shepherd people into, into how they view you in different ways. I think for a lot of people, they're looking at people in leadership, maybe the people like us who write books, people with platforms, people on stage and these things. But because they presuppose worldly power, they say that's the person with the power and I'm here primarily to, to kind of bolster what they do. And so consider, you know, yourself, how do you look at these things? Consider, you know, how your church champions these things, you know, does it, does it primarily point to one place where power is, you know, how, how, if we are going to think about policy and polity and these things, you know, how are our churches actually doing, you know, raising these folks up, you know, equipping the saints for the work of ministry and help shepherding people into the truth that in Christ, what position you have doesn't determine how much, how, how much power you are, you receive, that that is found in the spirit of God. And it's for the sake of love. That's a good word to end on. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you all for joining us and being a part of our conversation. We look forward to joining you for the next episode. Yep. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to the Way of the Lamb podcast, a resource of the Center for Christian Formation. For more information, go to christianform.org.